0: The Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. King Herod heard of the disciples' preaching, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, It is Elijah. And others said, It is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, and the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. You may be seated. The Lord be with you. you. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for those of every time and place who have worshiped you, who have shared your good news at great risk to themselves. We ask that you would continue to raise up those people in our generation, and that these days we might hear your word boldly proclaimed. Amen. As I was looking at the readings for this coming Sunday, it was very clear that I had not picked my Sundays off very well. (laughs) We are um, missing this morning's first reading from Amos, where we hear about justice rolling down like waters. That would be the the prophetic first reading. We have been, as many of you know, following the semi-continuous story of Saul and now David. And so we have the story of David dancing, um, as the text says, with not a whole lot on, which is kind of the scandal of the text. And then we get to the gospel text, uh, which is not for the faint of heart. Now, the second reading has been fixed a little bit. In the Greek, it's essentially one sentence, which if you can think back to elementary and middle school when you had to diagram sentences... Just try and figure out how you do that with 11 verses of text. Not so easy. But we have a few things that I think are worth talking about, but I have to first sort out the names for you. So when Jesus was born, there was King Herod, who had three sons among other children, Herod, Herod, and then the third son, Herod. And when Herod died and his sons began to take over things, they went by nicknames because obviously it was a little confusing, you know, if somebody called the house and asked for Herod. So uh, one of them became known as Philip. As he got older and got married to a woman named Herodias, (laughs) um, that marriage didn't work out. Now, this wouldn't be such a big deal if Philip had, say, died. But the fact that they had gotten divorced was not the way things were done, and so when his brother, Herod's brother, Herod, then marries his brother's wife, Herodias, um, he's going against custom, he's going against Jewish law. This is not something that is looked well upon, and think of the social dynamics This guy is in charge because he has the backing of the occupying Romans. People are trying to curry favor left and right. And so nobody really wants to say anything because that, you know, you stop getting invitations to go to the palace at that point. So it's this awkward thing, but people are all kind of looking the other way, except for one guy, John the Baptist who keeps saying, you can't be doing this. This isn't right. It's interesting when we have the text because we hear about John the Baptist as being a prophet, and this whole text comes out of people speculating about who Jesus is. He's a prophet from of old. He's Elijah. No, he's John the Baptist come back from the dead. And Herod, Jr., has said, no, it is John the Baptist come back. Now, we know otherwise, but we can tell that Herod has been carrying this heavy weight with him about what has happened. And as we look at the text and we hear about prophets, I think that word takes a minute of description. When we think of prophecy, we think of something that's like foretelling. Ten years from now, this exact thing is going to happen. We think of that as kind of prophecy, like it's some kind of magical sort of thing. But prophecy in the biblical sense, and I think in the modern sense of it too, is strictly speaking, truth-telling, which is in many cases almost more awkward. So John the Baptist, truth-telling to Herod. No, you can't be married to this woman. So Herod doesn't like this. His wife Herodias definitely does not like this. And according to the text, Herod and Herodias' daughter, Herodias, doesn't like it either. So we have the text that falls before us. But I want you to note that there's something that ties a number of these texts together. We hear in other texts related to the lectionary coming up about Jairus' daughter, who is healed. Now, when we talk about this woman, this young girl, the same Greek word is used for Herodias' daughter. So we would picture somebody who's 11, 12, 13 years old, who is dancing in a social setting, and there are scholars that would wonder the appropriateness of how this is happening, but the text doesn't explicitly say that there's anything amiss in what's happening But it's interesting that in the story of Jairus, this young girl is raised from the dead. There is life, there is hope, there is healing. But when we have the text today, the girl brings on death. It's a very different account. We also hear about dancing in today's text. We hear about David in front of the Ark of the Covenant taking it to Jerusalem, dancing with exuberance. So exuberant that his wife is not happy with it. Michael, Saul's daughter, thinks very poorly of David. He's being too much out there for God in a fashion. Now, Lutherans historically aren't known for dancing, certainly not in public, but there is this strong sense in David of a dance that is for God, that there is something going on with him that is about his whole being, and it's not something that's going to be contained in a simple, solemn march or walk, but with his whole body, he has to express that joy. Then we have the dance that we have in the Gospel text. Not so much about joy. Herod is very pleased. But notice what happens. When we look at David dancing and he gets rebuked by his wife, he carries on. He doesn't stop. Even if he's told, you're going to look silly. It looks ridiculous for you to be out there. You're going to lose standing. He doesn't care. There is a joy in him that's beyond what social negative impact it might have. But let's circle in on Herod, though. You can have anything you want in my kingdom. And so Herodias dashes off to her mother Herodias and asks, what should I ask for? The head of John the Baptist and this 12-year-old girl adds when going back to her father, on a platter interesting. That was a detail I had missed previously. But it's the girl who adds this detail to the request. And what does Herod do? Herod's been challenged. He's hearing all kinds of things from John that he does not like. And yet he keeps calling him up from the dungeon to hear him talk there is a sense of that prophetic voice of truth-telling that we know it when we hear it. And even when it gets under our skin, we can't stop ourselves from listening. That was the relationship between Herod and John. So now when we have this crucial moment where Herod knows that he is hearing the truth from God through John, out of fear of losing face, he follows through. Isn't that the way life goes sometimes? It's maybe a far more dramatic rendering than we usually have. But this idea that our faith or hearing a message from God, or talking about our faith, mentioning our relationship with Christ in public, being something that we feel might cause us to lose standing with those around us, something that perhaps we should be ashamed of. And it's interesting, who's at this party All kinds of people who think that Herod is just great. People who owe Herod everything. People who are sitting by their mailbox waiting for the next invitation to the next party so they can tell other people that they were hanging out at the palace with Herod. Those are the people that Herod was worried about losing face with. People who owed everything to him, people that were beneath him socially, that group that we might from the outside argue he's got nothing to lose. That's the group that out of fear of them, he acts against John the Baptist. It's interesting as I look at this week, on Tuesday we'll be getting into a plane at San Francisco International. And by way of Houston heading to New Orleans, 35,000 Lutherans in a place where there are typically not very many Lutherans. We're not a strong presence in the deep south. And we will be noticeable. Uh, For one, we're not quite the ethnic makeup of the local population, and so we tend to stand out a little bit. That, and we tend to wear crazy loud t-shirts wherever we go. That's a staple of youth gatherings, is to wear bright T-shirts. The kids think they're fun. The adults think that they make their kids easy to count, is kind of how it, <laughs> how it works. But the T-shirts often have slogans, Grace Lutheran Youth, um, Christ Among Us, or language like this. And when people see us around town, because we will be the headline front page news on the local newspapers in New Orleans. Three years ago, we were the largest convention of any kind that the city had had since Katrina. So this is a big, big deal for the city of New Orleans as it is for the ELCA. And to see these people wandering around through the city, doing work projects all over the place, trying to make a difference in that place, a place that now, going back a second time in succession, we're getting to know a little bit, There are relationships established, and a difference is being made in a way that's very public about our faith. That's kind of interesting. It's safe in a way when there's 35,000 of us. I guess that would be the right way to say it. It's safe. But it challenges us because there is a lot of talk when we are at these gatherings about what we should be doing when we get home, when we aren't 35,000 in one place. And what does it mean to speak about our faith, even when it puts maybe our reputation or standing at risk? What does it mean to speak a word of good news or to do something that changes the lives of those around us in a way that draws attention to our faith? Those are kind of the questions that we have. And in today's readings, we've got this stark comparison between David who could care less and is dancing with the joy of the Lord for everyone to see, good or bad, and the relationship of Herod and John, where Herod can't stand the thought of losing standing even among people who are beneath him socially. So I would encourage you, as you think about your faith as it is lived outside these walls, consider the boldness of those who have gone before us in sharing the good news when we speak, but I think as importantly, or perhaps more so, in what we do. Amen.